One of my pet peeves, if you go to a mall, which I try to avoid, but sometimes I go, and you're walking from one end to the other, and they put the stuff in the middle so they can harass you while you're trying to get from point A to point You know what I'm talking about? I don't want Dead Sea Salt, whatever that is. And they'll chase you around trying to get you to get some of that. And I just, and so what I've learned to do is I get my phone. <laughs> I just pretend it's on. I just walk around with my phone on. Like a coffee. It's really embarrassing when it starts to ring when you're doing that. <laughs> That's okay. You have noticed the massage tables there in the middle? And I just, I thought, who would be? I mean, you're exposed. You're out in the middle of everywhere, and they're just watching you. Until a few years ago when I was limping through a mall in Indianapolis, and I needed some help. And so I stood there debating because the sign, I think, said 20-something dollars for 20 minutes. And I'm a tightwad, but I needed help, and so I got in the table in the middle of Greenwood Mall. They started working on me, and it was worth every penny. I sat in a chair, you know, you put your face in the little circle, and I sat in the chair, and I noticed at first in the little circle, feet going by. Because you're right out in the middle of everything. So I, I noticed that at first. But then he started his work and I didn't notice people anymore. I stopped aching and I became totally unaware of my environment. Totally unaware. I was oblivious to the world around me. When he was done, he had to wake me up to get me out of the chair. And I think I gave him a tip. It, it was wonderful. I was in a comfort coma. And I began to think about the state I had been in, not caring as the world passed by. And for a Christian, that's a dangerous place to be. A comfort coma is a dangerous place to be. Let's talk about that today. Before we do, let's go. Lord, in various ways, we probably need to be awakened to the world around us, to neighbors and family and friends and workers and fellow students. Well, just the world around us. Help us to see and to be the light that you would want us to be to a world that truly needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin in a familiar place. You know these words from Luke chapter 10. Beginning at verse 30, you've heard this one forever. Um, Jesus was answering a question about who is my neighbor, and he replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other. Likewise, a Levite, a helper of the temple, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by also on the other side. You know the story. Later on, the good Samaritan comes. But let's talk about the priest and the Levite. And it's easy to talk about the priest and the Levite because they're not us. It's easier to talk about them than us. 
the times we've walked by and not done anything. But if the truth be told, all of us have at times been oblivious to the needs around us. And it doesn't take a massage to do it. It can take a bad attitude, a spiritual immaturity that just doesn't care. It can take a self-centeredness that the world is all about me. And I need to be served, and I am special. And that's not a new attitude. You'll probably know these stories, but I think it's a little surprising that the people that were closest to Jesus had that attitude at times. Look what Mark tells us in chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. James and John, you know them, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for this for us, or do for us what we ask of you. Jesus said, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in glory. What do you think about James and John right now? They want your place, don't they? I'm not real happy with them. You know what they're saying is, we want you to put us at the front of the line. We want you to put everybody else behind us. We want to be somebody. Jesus, James, and John, and then everybody else. That's kind of how I'm interpreting this, and I'm a little ticked about it. Put us first. We're number one. And I... I don't need to tell you, that's not a very Christ-like attitude. It doesn't seem like they've been listening very well to what Jesus has been teaching. But they want to be with him above everybody else. So they're inward focused, not outward focused. You know anybody like that? Sure you do. Jesus replied, beginning in verse 38 of Mark 10, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drank you will drink and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So he refuses their request. In fact, in just a short while, if they were at his right hand and his left, they'd be on one cross and another where the two thieves were. They didn't really know what they were asking. And Jesus does tell them, you're going to drink some stuff. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. Herod had James killed by the sword. And as you know, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. So in verse 41 of chapter 10, the other ten are ticked. Not because of the request, but they wanted the same thing. When they heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. And they started to think, what about me? I should, I know stuff about James and John. Don't curl your tongue. I don't want you to put them first, put me first. But they've been asking for the same thing. Mark tells us this. Chapter 9, beginning at verse 33. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked him, What were you arguing about on the way? They were silent. For on the way, they'd argued with one another who was the greatest. These are his disciples. Don't you think they should know better by now? 
it's like 12 Muhammad Ali's wandering around saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, when Jesus had been trying to teach them something else about putting others first, above your own needs. And all of the disciples, and if we're honest, all of us fight that me first attitude, don't we? When we get bigger, the world gets smaller. When we love ourselves above others, we miss all sorts of needs around us. So Jesus had to straighten them out again. They continually needed an attitude adjustment. Beginning at verse 42 of Mark 10, look what Jesus said. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be the servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give this life as a ransom for many. And so when we talk about being Christ-like, that's not a me-first attitude. That's an outward focus to the world around us. And it's what can I do for you? Maybe Philippians chapter 2 says it's best, telling us how we ought to be. Beginning at verse 5, to us, let the same mind be in you. Think this way. That was in Christ Jesus. This is how he thought. Who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, leaving heaven come to here. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus put us first. And he always put others first. And he wants us to be the same way. To be outward focused. So bless you for doing that. The month of March, let me tell you something that's going on. Some dear friends who are outward focused got together and put together a mail out that's going out probably tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, to 2,200 homes around the church, inviting them to our March services. March, the first Sunday in March, we're going to talk about the gift of belonging, and the second Sunday, the gift of grace, and the third Sunday, the gift of direction, that's Palm Sunday, and there'll be a big setup here from uh, an orbit production that's going on. And Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the gift of victory. But we're inviting several thousand people to come. How many will come? We don't know. But you start praying about that now. That's being outward focused. We have people working on our website hurriedly, uh, trying to get all of that ready so that when people look, and so many do now, that we are reaching out to them. So starting next Sunday in the month of March, I'm going to ask you to do some things. I want you to be here a little early. 
it'd be great if you come to Sunday school uh, because when they come to visit, it's going to look better if you're there. If you see somebody you don't know, and I bet you're going to, I want you to be kind to them and welcome them. Tell them who you are and learn somebody's name. Speaking of Sunday school, by the way, upstairs in this class in the fellowship hall that Steve Lowe teaches, they've been talking about the book of Matthew. And through repetition, we have been learning, you have been learning, a theme of Matthew. Can anybody tell me, for a prize, the, what Steve wants you to know is the theme of Matthew? Who said it first? Paul, Avon, you said it first. Come here, Avon. She's going to tell you. Come on. She should have been quiet. She's going to tell you the theme of Matthew. Folks, I want to tell you, I've been to Sunday school many, many times. In today's lesson, Jesus is King, who was our teacher, Steve Lowe. God gave him this message that just filled my heart, filled my mind, that Jesus is King. It would take me 50 years to really know that Jesus is King. He is there. He is with us. What was his crown? It was thorns. What did he do? He served others. He bent down. He was a slave to others. And he was a king. He is the king that reigns. And he is the king to come. There was a prize for the first one that did that for Sunday school about remembering what the lesson was. Here's $50 for coming to Sunday school. And Bill Hall's going to help you now. Oh, now you're interested in Sunday school, aren't you? Well, then you, you, you can deal with that after church. That's all right. And so also, uh, class, a class downstairs that you'll be interested in too, Mitch's class, so we invite you to that. Please come. Donna does such a great job with so many helpers in the nursery. My grandson is there right now, and a great niece and a great nephew, so I'm been praying for them while they're down there. The, the workers, not the kids. So outward focused is going to help us grow. So through Sunday school and through worship and through all sorts of things, make sure that you're looking out. The church and the kingdom of God will thrive when we seek to meet the, meet, meet the needs of others around us. So don't be in a comfort I found this story, and forgive me for reading to you, but a taxi driver in his log wrote this. He said, I drive the night shift and my cab often becomes a moving confessional. Passengers climb in, sit behind me in total anonymity and tell me about their lives. I encounter people whose lives amaze me, ennoble me, make me laugh, sometimes cry. But none touch me more than a woman I picked up one August night. 
Responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town, I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or a worker heading to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at 2.30 a.m., the building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice and then drive away. But I'd seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless a situation smelled of danger, I always went to the door. The passenger might be someone who needs my assistance, I reasoned to myself. So I got out, walked to the door, and knocked. Just a minute answered a frail, elderly voice. After a long pause, the door opened, and a small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of the 40s. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years, and all the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters, and the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she asked, and I took the bag and turned to assist her. her assist her. She turned my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. You're such a good boy, she said. When we got to the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm, I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror and her eyes were glistening. I, I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like for me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she asked me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. At the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, oh, I'm tired, let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me, and two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. There are, five, there are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug, and she held on to me tightly. She gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said, thank you. I squeezed her hand and then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver? or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and driven away? God has divine appointments for us, all of them. We have to be outward focused. Go out of your way for others. Jesus went far out of his way.